Hi, this is Reverend Tommy, and I'd like to welcome you back to the garden where we explore the big questions about life. I invite you to open your minds and be receptive to seeing things differently. So let's get metaphysical. Well, good morning once again. And uh, last time I spoke to you, I told you about these two new books that I had bought and that I was planning about, uh, to talk about them the next time around, but, which is today. But the truth is, that's way too much material for a 20-minute lesson. So I decided I was basically going to focus on this one a little bit. And even then, obviously, that's an introduction. This one's called From Science to God, A Physicist's Journey into the Mystery of Consciousness by Peter Russell. Uh, when I get, I'm going to Florida this afternoon, right after uh, the service, visit Marisa. And when I get back, I'd like to talk about maybe putting together a study group and start with that, with that book right there. We'll talk about that when I come back. Anyway, uh, give me some feedback on that. So who remembers how I started my last lesson? With these words, we have got to change the way we see things. Now, that's not just a sound bite. It really is something that we need to do because we truly are at the edge of a new emerging paradigm. The author of the book calls it the new Copernican revolution. But the truth is, I think it's much more radical than that. But granted at the time, the Copernican revolution was quite radical for the people at that time, because he was telling them something that went against their common sense. He told them that the Earth was spinning and that it was the Earth traveling around the sun and not the other way around. And people were saying, what are you talking about, Copernicus? I do not feel, I don't feel the Earth spinning and I can see that the sun is traveling through the, through the sky during the course of the day. This, this goes against what you're saying, goes against common sense. So I want you to keep this in mind because the challenge to our common sense is exactly what is being proposed now by this new paradigm of understanding. Every now and then we come across someone or something or some way of seeing things that totally changes the way we see things and sends us into a new direction, both as an individual and it happens as a collective society, as a collective consciousness, as well as it did in the Copernican Revolution. For me, that had happened several times along my path. And the first was in the 70s when I started reading Plato. Plato, the foundation of Plato is idealism, and something about it sounded right to me. Maybe it was, among other things, that he proposed that all knowledge is recollection. So perhaps down deep inside of me somewhere, I thought, oh, well, that sounds familiar. And so it made sense to me. And of course, Plato had that biggie, the whole concept of the world of perfect ideas that exists and that this is a copy of that world. This was very, very radical for the, for the time. Then I came across some books on Zen, also in the 70s. And that took me in a different direction, gave me a different look than what it is that we normally see from our Western perspective. I very much like Zen stuff. 
And then again, in, while still in the 70s, uh, I was about 20-something, and there was a, about a 40-year-old guy. He introduced me into Edgar Cayce. I never heard of Edgar Cayce. And that sent me into a whole different uh, understanding. And then in the 80s, it's when I, I was my philosophy major at UTRGV, and that gave me a different perspective. But I got to admit, now looking back, no really aha moments per se, like I did with Plato and Zen and, and things like that. And then it seemed like at that point, I seemed to have reached a plateau, now that I think back at it. And I was probably sitting there for a good 10, 15 years, I want to say, that I just felt like I didn't really learn anything about this mystery that we call life. That changed when I came to unity. And not just because of what I started to learn at unity, but because I met here uh, Carol and Mira and Marianne, who are they're not here today, uh, and I found out that they were part of a book club right there in Little Mercedes, where I live. I said, really? She said, yeah, we meet on Tuesday mornings. So I started to go. I was the only guy there, all women, and me. <laughs> the only one. And most of them were their 80s, you know, like, wow. Uh, well, they introduced me to Bruce Lipton, to Greg Braden, to Eckhart Tolle, to all these things. So between the Unity material and that material, then I really started to change my perspective of how I saw things. So what triggered this whole thing? What brought me to unity in the first place, which set this whole thing in motion? Well, see, 10 years ago when this happened, we used to have the, the article in the paper that our new gentleman friend uh, saw and brought in here today, which is very good. And, but we used to have it at the Valley Morning Star as well. And, and that's the paper that I get. And it used to come out in the Saturday morning faith section. And one Saturday morning, my friend Michael, and I started reading the article, and I said, well, this looks kind of interesting. So the next Saturday, I read it again, and then again, and again, and then I finally came across this one statement that really caught my attention, and we all know it. It says, we are not human beings on a spiritual journey. We are spiritual beings on a human journey. And I said, wow. Now, much later, I came to find out that the author of that statement is Pierre Teilhard de Chardin. He was an idealist philosopher. So here's idealism again. And he was a Jesuit priest and a paleontologist. So he was both a priest and a scientist. And he lived not too long ago, 1880, 1955. And he, like my buddy Copernicus, was pulled into the Vatican and was told, you are to zip it with your views on what you're saying. We're not going to have you talking like that as a Catholic priest. And so this book also mentions that Meister Eckhart also got the call from the Vatican to say, you will recant some of your views, sir. <laughs> so my point is, if you ever get called to the Vatican and reprimanded for your views, take a little pride, man. You're in good company. <laughs> anyway, that, that statement really resonated with me because I always felt that there was something going on. I, I, like I summarized now, I said, something is right about Christianity, but something is wrong. I always had that feeling. And, and the whole model of, of the Western world uh, the, uh, that, that has been given to us. And, and that statement 
made it very clear to me. It told me we got everything wrong. We are upside down in our way of seeing things. We see ourselves first as humans, and because of that, we put ourselves in a position that we believe that we are vulnerable and fragile and essentially victims of the universe because really if you are that fragile against the universe, you're not in a very good position. I hate to tell you because it's a big place. So, and then that perception then becomes our reality. Remember what Jesus said, be it done to you as you believe. Let me rephrase that statement. It means precisely that our perception, that which we believe to be so, is done unto us, becomes our reality. That is what it says. Our perception, our reality. We create our own reality by what we believe, by our perception. One of the two books, I think it's this one, uh, he says, when we see ourselves from that materialistic point of view where we are primarily humans, he says, we are, in effect, exiles in an alien world. Exiles in an alien world. Heck, no wonder we live in a fear-based mentality. It's just no wonder. That's like living in a home where you're constantly afraid that your daddy's going to slap you upside the head or something. It's just not a very comfortable place to be. It's not a particularly nurturing environment. So if we are, if we believe that we're in that environment, then obviously, yeah, we do need some sort, we are in need of some sort of salvation. That goes hand in hand with that whole idea. Or as the Gnostics thought, that we needed to escape because they believed that our only purpose on, on this life is to escape. It's a prison, and our only purpose here is to escape. I'm like, why did I even come here if that's my only mission is to escape? I don't understand. Anyway, so what gave a view to or what gave way to this view, this way of think, thinking that most people have? And it is religion, of course. But let me correct myself. It's not really religion. It is our perception of religion. So here we go back again to that. It is our interpretation of religion. And it is very strange because what is happening is that we're accepting somebody else's perception, somebody else's interpretation of religion. And that doesn't work. It just doesn't work. I just saw it yesterday, again, in the faith section of the Valley Morning Star, a reverend from the Lutheran Church in Harlingen, and he's talking about God not being fair. I say, well, that's just wonderful. And, he's, and he talks about uh, this being a sin-filled world. And so when, if that's, the, it's, that's, again, if that is the environment, yikes, that's, well, anyway. It's like a war zone, and all we're doing is dodging bullets. That's, that's, the, that's the perception that they give us. And is that really what's going on? I don't think so. Now, remember last time I talked about the Garden of Eden, and, and I, we, we, I talked about the metaphysical interpretation of it, and basically what it's saying is that we're not supposed to be that way because everything was created, everything was hunky-dory. It was we, through our choices, that changed that. And that's what happens through our choices. We are creators of our own reality, once again. This is true in regards to our health. I did a lesson one time about the biology of beliefs, Dr. Bruce Lipsman, and, uh, and it's very, very much true that our body reacts to our perception. Very much true. 
and I saw this quote, and I got to share it with you because when I heard it, I went, oof, I should have used that quote when I did the, uh, the biology of beliefs. It says, be careful because your cells are eavesdropping on your thoughts. And we're like, yeesh. <laughs> no, seriously. Ah, well, man, if that's the case, what are you thinking? You know? I thought about calling this lesson life. It's all in your mind. Because I thought it was kind of catchy, but anyway. <laughs> and we always say all the time, it's all in your mind. We say it. But the strange thing is that without realizing that, that may be exactly what's happening. That may be exactly what's happening. And uh, there is an anonymous quote. And I think I used it in the paper. It says, we don't see the world as we are, as, as it is. We see the world as we are. And that's true. And we know this for a fact because any one of us can see the same object, see the same event. I said that one time about a cowboy game. You know, if you're a Packer fan and we're playing the Packers and they beat us, you know, we saw the same game. But what was your reaction and what was mine? <laughs> I was bummed out. <laughs> and you're all happy. Same event. It was my perception of it. Anyway, it means that our reality, exactly that, it is based on the perception of the world and not so much what the world really is. Peter Russell brings this up because he brings up Immanuel Kant, the German philosopher. And I, I even in my philosophy, I, my, my philosophy professor was mostly an existentialist guy. And we read, read a lot of Sartre and we read a lot of stuff like that. Didn't get too much into Kant, and I wish I had now, because this guy's talking about Kant, and Kant had this view of the universe that was very, very, well, idealistic again, like Plato. And because this is a very important question, philosophically as well as scientifically. You know, is the, for, philosophically is asking the question, what is it that we can know about the external world? And scientifically, the question is, does the world exist independent of us? And Old science used to say that, yes, it does. And new science is saying, no, it does not. And a matter of fact, it would seem that theoretically, without an observer, there is no universe. There is none. So he asked the question, well, what happened when there was no people? Ah, this is the whole key to this paradigm change. And that is that there has always been consciousness. He says consciousness is transcendental, and it is fundamental to the universe. So there has always been consciousness, but without the consciousness, there can be none of that. Kant drew a clear distinction, it says in the book, between the forms that appear in our mind, what he calls the phenomena, from the Greek word meaning what, that which appears to be, and the world that gives rise to the, and, and the, world that gives rise to the perception, what he calls the noumenon, meaning that which is apprehended. He, Kant said, all that we know is the phenomenon. The noumenon, the thing itself, remains forever beyond our understanding. Now, what does that mean exactly? It meant, another quote from Kant, the mind is an active participant in the process continually shaping our experience of the world. Reality, he believed, is something we each construct for ourselves. Wow. 
Important to note that Kant is not saying that this reality or your reality is the only reality, only that it is the only reality that you can know. That's all. And this is very similar to what it is that we teach here at Unity because we always teach that it is about a personal experience. And this is what the Eastern uh, philosophies, uh, disciplines teach, a personal connection with that divinity, that consciousness, that universal mind that we call it, it uh, here at Unity. All revelations must be received directly to you. And it doesn't make any difference what somebody else says or does or whatever, because if, it does, if it's not you, then it means nothing to you. Not really. Emerson said, the greatest revelation is that God is in every man. And it is that revelation that we must seek. That is the key to knowing God, is knowing God in you, your perception of it. Again, if you need a simpler explanation, I have done it several times. I said, nobody can learn to swim for you. You can talk about it all day long, but you're not going to learn to swim until you jump in the water. And that's why we push the meditation thing. And I admit it. I need to do more of it, and we do. Peter Russell, this guy, after he finished Cambridge physics, he went to India, and he would spend hours upon, he said he lost track of time. I think he was there eight, 10 hours meditating at a time. He said, and you get into this zone, like this one guy says, he, he quotes this book, this guy, Siri, I can't even pronounce the name, the last name is Mahara, or Marayash. Ha. He said, and it is describing his own spiritual awakening. He says, you realize beyond all trace of all doubt that the world is in you and not you in the world. Again, that's like that, that Chardin uh, quote, we got everything flip-flopped. This other sage from the book says, you are the entire universe. You are in all and all is in you. Sun, moon, and stars revolve around you. And this one from an old Indian text. The universe produces phenomenally in me, is pervaded by me. From me, the world is born. In me, it exists. In me, it dissolves. I used to have a, an aunt, my tia Panchita, I would call, she, that's what we used to call her. And she said one time to me, cada cabeza es un mundo. Cada cabeza es un mundo. Every world, every person, you every, it's his own world. In, in other words, what that says, it's your own reality within your own mind of what it is. Cada cabeza es un mundo. I never forgot that. And once in a while, I talk about it. <laughs> so he said, Russell says, these people appear to have awakened from the dream of Maya, the delusion, note, not illusion, but the delusion that we are directly perceiving the physical world. That's a strange, again, I told you. <laughs> I told you that this, some of this new stuff that, that we're entering now, especially with quantum physics, you know that if you have read anything about it, that it defies our common sense completely. It makes no sense. How can photons be two places at the same time? And we're made of these things. How is it that we can't do it if that's what we're made of? I don't understand. 
but we're going to figure it out. <laughs> well, I am. <laughs> One of these days. <laughs> so here's the part that uh, Russell says that these claims that Kant was making were astonishing for his time, and they still are. And furthermore, he says, but contemporary physics now lends weight to this extraordinary claim. It's coming full circle. I was talking to my new friend, science and religion. Science is telling us what mystics have said from the beginning of time. And this is what, this is what I love about unity, because we're open enough to try to make sense of the entire picture. And like I always say, it's got to be about everybody. It can't be about a group of people. Anyway, this new view is a very all-powerful, very powerful view of ourselves because it changes on us from victims of the universe to victors of the universe, as Greg Braden says, because it is we who control our reality through our perception and our beliefs. And how else could it be, as I always say, if we are a free-willed individual and we are created in the image and likeness of God that makes us co-creators? How can it be otherwise? But we bought into this old way of seeing things. And like they say, old habits die hard. We're learning many strange things. And you look at the back of, those book, of that bulletin today, and I put a lot of things from this book to ponder thoughts. And one of them is that we're learning that the material world is not material. It says, he says, matter is not made of matter. And yesterday, and that's funny because I don't know, it seemed to be in sync most of the time. But last week, Michael, when you quoted that uh, St. Paul about that, which is, and I think I put it in the back of, of, the, of the bulletin. I forget exactly how it goes, but you know that, which is seen is not made from that, which is whatever, however it goes. But that is exactly what it's saying. Matter is not made of matter. <laughs> it's made of spirit. It's energy. And we know that now. So we, I can only imagine sometime in the future that people, somebody's going to look back at us like we do at the people in Copernicus. They're going to say, those people used to believe that the earth was the center of the universe. Those people used to believe that the universe was made of matter. Those people used to believe in a God that judged us. That's what they're going to look at us and say. We have a lot of expanding to do, and I hope it's not in the waistline, you know. But, <laughs> but sometimes you know, got to be careful with that as well. So, let me let me try to wrap this up. Uh, that this book, because both books are talking about this. Because again, let me tell you the name. Reiterate the name of this book. It says the self-aware universe. How consciousness creates the material world, which is that what we teach here. And he's saying, look, in the back of the book is exactly the quote that, because last week I told you about, I was reading about light, and you know, that light has no mass. No mass. It is immaterial. It is non-material light. But yet we see it every day. How does this work? <laughs> and he's saying that consciousness itself is exactly the same thing. It is fundamental to the universe. It is transcendent, it has always existed, it always will exist, and 
Honestly, for me, that's my new definition of God. God is consciousness itself. And that's what he's really talking about. So I'm going to take off this afternoon and start back to Florida. And I'll be back in, uh, in two weeks. I will speak. It'll be the first Sunday of Lent. And you know that we, in unity, we do use the Christian model. We have a different view of it. For one thing, I know some of you guys are new here. Uh, we, we mostly uh, interpret the Bible metaphysically, or what we call, well, like allegorically, symbolically, whatever you want to call it, where, uh, where it, as I say, if, as I, my, my quote is, if the Bible is literal, then it's about some people. But if, that, if it is allegory, then it is about all people. It becomes a story about the whole picture of how it happened, not to Adam and Eve, not to Moses or whatever, but to each and every one of us, how we encounter different challenges, I guess, if you will, through the course of our journey in this human experience. So I would like to talk about that uh, again, I mean, a little bit, uh, being the first Sunday of Lent. And I want to refer to, and there's five copies back there if anybody wants to get one, to the book by Marcus uh, Borg called Meeting Jesus Again for the First Time. I've got that one back there, and I've got one called Reading the Bible Again for the First Time. Uh, same gentleman, Marcus Borg. He's a biblical scholar. And so I'll be addressing that book a little bit. If you want to get a copy, we certainly welcome you to. Read a little bit, and then we'll have a kind of be on the same page. So for now, I just wanted to introduce you to these ideas. When I get back, we'll see about setting up a study cl class and... And having, sharing some knowledge about this stuff, because I think it's wonderful, and I think you can tell my enthusiasm about this stuff. So thank you all so much, and have a wonderful day. Thank you. <laughs>